0: Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm David Ekstrom. On today's episode, Successful Farming Editor Chelsea Dinterman discusses a drone weed management approach with Jared Roskamp, a BASF technical service representative, and Ben Johnson, a territory sales manager for Rentizo Drones. Before we get into the podcast, we'd like to thank our sponsor, FMC, the InFurrow Leader. Visit your FMC retailer or infurro.ag.fmc.com to learn more.
1: The greatest herbicide of all time earned its title by defending your soybean fields. Authority Supreme Herbicide's low-use rate formula delivers longer-lasting control of broadleaf weeds and grasses, providing you with the best-in-class combination
0: of Group 14 PPO herbicide sulfentrazone and Class 15 molecule pyroxasulfone that outlasts the competition. We're Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC and we play to win. Learn more at authoritysupreme.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. And now, back to the podcast.
2: So, Jared, we'll just start off pretty simple. What's kind of going on in the weed world right now? And why are farmers having to look at these more creative weed management tactics?
1: Yeah, so the the weed science world and the weed control uh, spectrum, as far as growers are concerned, is always evolving, probably due to the evolvement of resistance and the weeds we continue to fight and how we continue to see more and more resistance develop. Um, We're always looking for new ways to be more effective with the tools we have. And so one of the things we've looked at in weed management is doing better with our timing, maybe our approach to how we apply and when we apply to be more effective at controlling these effective or these, these herbicide resistant weeds.
2: Awesome. And so I know drones aren't necessarily a new technology, but how in your experience have you seen farmers start to utilize them in their
1: fields? Yeah, so they're definitely becoming more popular. I think part of it because of their affordability. Um, You know, one of the first ways I've seen it used in the area I cover, um, I I work specifically in Missouri, but, you know, work with a lot of cutter parts here in the Midwest. You know, the detection and, and how we've used it to scout and look at fields has really been one of the first ways that we've seen a lot of growers pick this drone technology up. And I think we'll continue to see that evolve as we move forward trying to detect where there's weeds and and when they emerge, or maybe where we have troublesome spots in fields and how we're gonna approach management techniques on that, that maybe we had to go out on foot prior. Um, Now we're able to use some of these sensing technologies and and really get a better look and feel on, on what's going on in our fields.
2: And so when we're looking at scouting fields from above, are there any types of farmers or types of fields that kind of really make sense to use those drones?
1: Well, I think really all fields right now are, are eligible to do that. You know, we got to obviously watch out around airports and things like that. But, um, you know, I think each grower is using them in a different way. You can cover a lot of ground. That's a huge advantage to it. So larger fields are ones that you can get a pretty good look at um, really quickly versus, you know, walking an 80 acre field takes quite a while on foot um, with a drone. You can do that quite a bit quicker. Um, In my part of the world where we've got more terrain and lots of hills, I think that also adds to the efficiency, right? You can get across and look at some things. But one of the challenges is, you know, there still needs to be some boots on the ground. If you see something on a drone, you're going to go look at it because um, as technology continues to develop, it'll get better. But our resolution of what we can see is still somewhat limited at this time.
2: And I know technology is always evolving and drones are getting lighter, batteries are getting long, or having longer lives. Are are you seeing any farmers making chemical applications with drones and what might be the benefit to that shift?
1: Yeah, so chemical application, I think maybe some of the newer and, and more popular topics around drones right now. We've seen a lot of customers go out and get and try some of these spray application drones. And you know, I, I think there is a future in that, but we've got a lot to learn, right? It's on the very forefront of, of that, and we have seen some growers try and utilize this. Um, it, from our perspective, we've seen it more from a fungicide standpoint because, you know, airplanes are some of the ways we've used that. So that, it's obviously, a natural fit coming from the sky when we think about drones. But you know, I think there's a lot to to be learned and a lot to look forward to as far as as these drones and trying to put products on as we move forward. But you know, I think that's still kind of in its infancy and we're, we're trying to learn more about that every day.
2: And when it comes to drums, do, can they help with your timing for applications? Is there any benefit there as opposed to maybe using a ground rig or a plane?
1: I think it definitely adds a tool to our toolbox, right? I think you, you put it well there that timing is a key element to whether that's weed control or insect management or fungicides, right? For, uh, you know, fungis, fungal, excuse me, fungal disease control but in in the end of it we want to be proactive and timely with these applications and and, you know that's why we've used airplanes in the past is to get across ground that maybe we can't get a ground rig on and both ground rigs and airplanes will continue to be a part of the business but drones now add a third option potentially with certain pesticides that we could get the timing uh place more more properly if we can't get one of those other two options to work
2: and as farmers are kind of looking at drones as maybe an option for their fields are there any limitations that they should keep in mind before they jump both feet in?
1: Yeah, I think there is. I think, you know, remember that when we put something in the air, it's really easy to say, oh, I can go buy a drone today. And it's really easy to use the the technologies there for them to almost fly themselves. Right. But we do need to be aware there are lots of regulations because we are in federal airspace. We want to make sure we know where we're at and what we're doing. And, and some of that comes with licensing. So whether you're taking pictures or applying uh, pesticides through a drone, those require different levels of licensing. So I would definitely be aware of that. Make sure you're legal. Um, also with that, you know, the efficiency, You know, we can only carry so much pesticide if you're wanting to go about that route. So, you know, maybe explore how it fits, you know, your operation before jumping both feet in, because it is a tool, but I wouldn't expect it to replace a, a current practice you're doing, all out right now, you know, I think it's going to be an add in on an aerial application or a ground application, uh, but not something that necessarily will replace those at at this time.
2: And um, can we touch a little bit on how farmers might use those uh, sensing or spectrum to kind of make better decisions for their farm?
1: Yeah, I think uh, we continue to see drones become popular because as we get more technology in here, and again, their ease of use, um, does help us get a lot done in a short period of time. So there is an efficiency piece, especially when we're talking about sensing, um, whether that's looking for weeds or even taking uh, greenness measurements of our crops. Um, the nice part that drones have had an advantage on recently is the the resolution. Right prior to that, we were doing a lot with satellites. This brings it down, and we can get a different level of resolution to help us maybe with the accuracy or even the timing. Right, getting. Um, you know, not waiting for a satellite to fly over. You can do it when it's convenient for the grower or the retailer to get that image or that information. So I think there are some pieces there that's of an advantage as we move forward, and we'll have to, to continue to see how this flourishes and develops as we as we keep adding more sensors and, and basically building this technology up to be more and more accurate. I guess my, my final comments are, I'm really excited, and BASF is excited to continue to explore drones and really pesticide management and how they, how they come together because obviously we see this as a new tool in the toolbox. But before you go out and jump into buying one, do your research, understand what you might wanna do with it or what capabilities each drone type has for you before you just jump in and make that investment because um, it is a little bit of investment, maybe not quite as much as a combine or a spray or something like that. But um, you wanna make sure you can get the best bang for your buck out of it and get it to really do what you expect it to do as far as being an aid to your operation.
0: In a moment, Ben Johnson of Rantizo Drones provides the technical details of operating drones. Before we hear from Ben, we'd like to take a moment to highlight today's sponsor, FMC. Ag Day Programming is sponsored by Authority Supreme Herbicide. Championship soybean seasons start with pre-emergence control of the toughest weeds. Outlast the competition with Authority Supreme Herbicide. And now, back to the podcast.
2: Hi, Ben. Thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with me today. Uh, Can we start off, can I just have you kind of introduce yourself and your role at Rantizo Drones?
3: Yes, I'm Ben Johnson. I'm a territory sales manager uh, here at Rantizo, and I cover the western half of the U.S. plus Wisconsin.
2: Awesome. And so we're here talking today about how farmers can use drones to kind of battle weeds that are getting more herbicide resistant or changing up their weed management program. Um, And so can you tell me a little bit about what a drone application looks like for a farmer?
3: Yeah, so drones have have really come a long way in the past 10 years. So I think we're used to seeing them as, uh, you know, from the imagery point of view, you know, taking, you know, regular photography and even bumping that up to some advanced imagery as well. But uh, some some innovations have occurred and we can make the drones much bigger. And as soon as something gets bigger, we want to put a a tank on it, have it go out there and do some actual work in the field. So that's where we're at with drones, and um, they've gotten to the point where they are large enough that um, you can get a significant number of acres done that really fill a significant need in the marketplace. So there's a lot of uh, acres that uh, might not be able to get aerial application right now um, just because they're, they kind of fall in that spot where you know an airplane looks at it and it's like, well, that's kind of too small for us to, to go out there and, and do. We want to do the big fields rightfully so. Um, so this kind of helps fill that, that niche in the market. So uh, drones are are very much a uh, profitable enterprise in, in a lot of areas. And so that's that's kind of the low-hanging fruit is the um, the awkward acre, you know, the, the field that's down by the river bottom that's shaped like a question mark. Um, that's a, a really great opportunity there. Um, and so that's, you know, I think primarily it's um, fungicide that's, that's uh, the main driver with a lot of drone applications. But with weeds, absolutely, this is absolutely something that's that's done a lot, and so there's there's big opportunities. So uh, you think about problem areas that would be, you know, fence lines late in the year. Um, you think about, uh, you know, if you've got some weed escapes, you know, if you could add in some other technology, if you've got maybe some other imagery and can identify patches of weeds out there, you can make a shape file and then you can upload the shape file into the drone and uh, begin to to address that as well. Um, there's also some other uh, you know, as you get to, to different parts of the country, there's some interesting things happening. So uh, we do a lot of work up in Idaho. And one thing with uh, onion protection, production up in Idaho is that um, in order to get a sprayer across a the field, they have to turn off the irrigation so that it's not, you know, so wet that you don't get buried out there. So you have to stop irrigating for a number of days in order for that to happen. And that's, you're kind of sacrificing, um, you know, crop health at that point. So what a drone is able to do, you're able to go out there and make a precision application and not just, you know, like you would with an airplane, um, but an airplane could be maybe not as precise as what you would want. Uh, But with a drone, you can get a a very nice, precise application and, and apply herbicide out there and take care of those weeds and you don't have to turn the water off. So that's a really big innovation.
2: And so when you talk about that precise application, how high is that drone flying and how far is the spray going? What does that kind of look like?
3: Yeah, so the drone uh, flies typically 7 to 10 feet above the canopy. Um, And so when it's 7 feet above the canopy, it has a a 20-foot swath. And when it's 10 feet above the canopy, it's at a a 24-foot swath.
2: How does the battery life of these drones kind of affect the process? How long can they go for and how fast can they make an application on an acre?
3: Absolutely. So, uh, when they engineered, you know, the, the top drones in the market, they want to match up that battery life with, you know, getting the, the tank off. You know, want to have that match as much as possible. It doesn't always happen just because of varying time or weather conditions or, or whatever, but typically, uh, You know, the the most popular models on the market are between 9 to 11 minutes of of flight time. And that does vary with with weather. So if it does get hot, that does impact the battery. If you've got a lot of wind, um, if the drone has to kind of fight that, it takes up a lot of energy to do that.
2: And I know a lot of farmers are probably thinking, what does this cost? How does the cost of using drones in their fields compare to maybe more traditional herbicide applications?
3: Right. So with drones, they are... Um, you kind of group them in with aerial application. So when that's getting priced out, it's it's the price breakers really look through that lens. So you think about the cost of aerial application in your area and that's like you know the floor basically. But really this is a premium service because you can do more precision applications. You can get into areas that you can't get into by other means. You can get in there when it's wet. Um, so there might be a few dollar premium on top of that. So every local market is different. Um, but those are kind of some guidelines.
2: And I know there are a lot of rules and regulations around drones. What does a farmer need to know before they go out and fly one on their farm?
3: Absolutely. So a lot of growers look at this and say, hey, look, this is my farm. You know, I, I own the ground. What's the big deal? Well, the FAA doesn't look at it in the same way. The FAA looks at this, and if you're, you know, hovering above the Earth's surface, you are in the jurisdiction of the FAA, believe it or not. That's how that, those laws are written. So you need to be um, following those laws. Um, so to be in compliance, what you need is first what's called the FAA Part 107, which is the drone license. It's been around for a number of years and uh, really has come into play when you do drone work uh, for hire, uh, particularly from the imagery side. That's where that first came into play. And basically, it's, uh, it, it's some education around knowing uh, airspace and knowing different things about airports and just basically being a, uh, a good neighbor in the sky to, to aircraft. Now, um, that was sufficient for um, you know drone pilots in the past, but now that these drones are getting bigger, there's there's more things that need to be considered. So the, the most popular drones right now are above 55 pounds. And once you get above that threshold, you're in a different ballgame with the FAA. Um, so you need to have a what's called a class two medical card So uh, that's just basically uh, you go through this process. It's like a DOT physical and they do test your vision a little bit more uh, intensely on that. And they look at what medications you're taking as well. And they just want to be sure that you're not going to, you know, have a heart attack in the middle of the field and have this huge drone just keep going on forever or have a seizure, you know, whatever, sort of, uh, you know, not good thing. Um, So that's a big piece of it. Um, And then, because we are applying actual products out in the field, this falls underneath, uh, you know, all the same certifications that a crop duster would need. So that's called the FAA part 137. Um, So yeah, that's, that does take uh, some paperwork to fill out. It does, does cost some money in order to do. And um, that's just a process where the FAA can, can uh, see that you're doing things correctly and, and making sure that you're, um, you know, applying pesticides safely and effectively and you know, flying into machines effectively as well. As far as drones go, this is a, a new and emerging technology. Um, this is uh, really, it's not going away. It's gonna be the wave of the future. They're, they're a bit smaller right now, but I think as time goes on, they're gonna get larger and larger and we're gonna see them be incorporated into uh, a number of fleets of, of equipment. So this technology is, is here to stay.
0: This podcast was brought to you by InFurro Leader FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or InFurro.ag.fmc.com to learn more. You can read more about drone application weed management in Successful Farming Magazine and Agriculture.com.